because we believe that our worship is a meeting with God where he condescends to be with us. The high point of our worship is when God speaks to us directly, unedited, through his holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Um, before we read from Psalm 23, we read also from Luke 24, which is not listed in your bulletin this morning, but we'll read Luke 24, first verses 13 through 27, and then 44 through 47. It's our New Testament reading. Just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago. This is on that first day in which Christ had rose. It tells us in verse 13... Behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then down to verse 44, as Jesus has appeared to the disciples, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Then, We'll read from the Old Testament, Psalm 23, that same psalm that we sang just a moment ago. Superscription tells us 
This psalm is a psalm of David. And as we'll see, also a psalm of David's son. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then we'll read that in connection with Lord's Day 50 of the Heidelberg Catechism as we have been making our way through the Lord's Prayer. We've been looking at uh, each of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer through the lens of a particular psalm. And so we'll consider uh, Psalm 23 this morning in connection with the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, uh, reading responsively together from page 895 in the back of your hymnals, um, question and answer 125 where it asks, uh, speaking of the Lord's Prayer, what does the fourth petition mean? Give us this daily, daily bread means provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Beloved, this psalm, Psalm 23, is one of rich imagery, one that although for most of us our experience with sheep may be limited to our our visits to petting zoos or, or reading Uh, children's bedtime books, we can nevertheless appreciate this picture of a sheep needing to be provided for and guided. Uh, During seminary, I remember one uh, Sunday night coming back from uh, preaching at our church in Beecher, Illinois, and uh, we were uh, driving up our our roads not far from our house and finding a, a long line of sheep in front of us. A bit surprising as we didn't know of any, any sheep anywhere near our house, but uh, so we, we started sort of slowly rolling along, hoping these sheep might get the idea and move out of the way. But as we approached our, our driveway, long country driveway, they uh, unwittingly uh, turned in front of us. We were, we were unknowingly guiding them to their uh, destination for the evening. And so we drove up after them, uh, went into the house, and then so we looked out our back patio window. The, the sheep were uh, hanging out right outside our kitchen window. So they spent the next few hours there until someone was uh, finally able to come and, and corral them, uh, giving us a, a little picture of the need that sheep have for guidance, giving us a little picture of the need that, that sheep have for protection, lest our car or another car had hit them. And of course, the need that sheep have for someone to provide for them. And the psalm that we have before us this morning is, is written by 
uh, someone who had an even better understanding of, of sheep than I. Someone whose experience with sheep went beyond experiences in a petting zoo or running into some, some sheep along the road. David. And so it's very striking that David the shepherd, as he writes this psalm, would identify himself with one, a sheep, who is so dependent on another for guidance and for provision and protection. But of course, David knew what it was to be dependent. We see this same kind of lamb-like dependence lived out in the life of David. Where he spent much of his time on the run, hiding from a king who sought his life. Now, David fought giants, not in his own strength. David faced scary animals, boys and girls. You remember the lions and bears that David would have to fend off? On many occasions, while on the run, uh, David was in need of food. We read in 1 Samuel 21 of the priests at Nob who give him the holy bread, the, the bread from the, the table of showbread. Read in 1 Samuel 25 uh, of David being dependent on uh, God's provision for him through Abigail, cakes and bread. We read in 2 Samuel 17 of that bread that was brought to David while he fled from Absalom. Each of these instances of God providing for his king, providing for his little sheep through the means of people who would provide for him. David knew what it was like to be dependent on and provided for by his good shepherds. And David at times also found himself in uh, something of an exile, his life in danger, knowing what it was like to walk through the valley of death's shadow. More than once with Saul, again later on with Absalom, his own son, this was a man who knew what it was like to depend like one of those sheep on his shepherds. And so David writes this psalm out of his own experience. But we've made the point before that when David writes of these things in the psalms, there is also a prophetic element that foreshadows the experience of his son. We saw that in Psalm 22, the psalm just before this. We see uh, something of that in Psalm 24, the psalm just after this, where the king's ascent in righteousness to the hill of the Lord is prophetic of Christ's ascension. And so this little group of psalms, Psalm 22 through Psalm 24, that speak of the suffering and glory of the king to come, the same thing that is true of Psalm 22 and Psalm 24 is also true of Psalm 23. The New Testament, after all, calls the psalms the word of Christ, Colossians 3, or Hebrews 2, tells us that the speaker in the psalm just before this is Jesus, who spoke it through his forerunner David. That passage we read in Luke 24 tells us that the pattern of suffering unto glory that is found not only in the law and the prophets, but also is found in the Psalms is fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, in places like Matthew 27 or Acts chapter 2, they refer to the Psalms as prophetic of Christ. Leading us to wonder if the Psalms ultimately are of Christ, are prophetic of his own experience, what would it mean for Jesus to pray this Psalm? How does this Psalm foreshadow the experience of David's greater son? I would argue that it does so in much the same way that we see in the book of Job. 
We'll continue our study in Job this afternoon, but you recall uh, from our sermon two weeks ago that that book presents a, a great conflict between God in his heavenly throne room and Satan. And that great conflict uh, comes to focus on a single individual whose life will follow a pattern of glory, suffering, and then greater glory. Glory, suffering, and greater glory. We might say good, bad, and better. This pattern by which the Lord's plan of grace and defeat of the enemy is foreshadowed. And a champion whose greatness is unparalleled, but who then suffers more than we could ever imagine, only to finally be exalted to an even greater status. We said that's the the sort of messianic pattern that Luke 24 presents. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Christ identifies in Luke 24 a pattern that is found all throughout the Old Testament in men like Joseph, in men like Job, in the servants of those servant songs in Isaiah, in kings like David, and in the Psalms of David. Glory, suffering, greater glory. And we see something of that in Psalm 23. We saw it in Psalm 22 on Good Friday and Easter. Now we see it in Psalm 23 where Jesus fulfills the role of David, the sheep. In fact, we might see this psalm as something of an outline of Messiah's story. Where great David's greater son would have a glorious destiny, verses 5 and 6, like Job, a return to abundance and feasting in the presence of God, his enemies arrayed before him, but before that glorious end must pass through the darkest valley. The same kind of darkness that we'll see this afternoon in Job 3. But then having passed through that darkness will be raised unto glory. So listen to how Christ would have found each section of this psalm to be true of his own experience. It it says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And we spoke of how David knew what it was like for a sheep to be in a state of dependence on its shepherd. But did Jesus know this same kind of dependence? Well, the very nature of his coming into the world is his entering into our dependence. Whereas a child, he was dependent on the nurture that God would provide through his parents. Or his physical body would be in need of God's provision, in need of rest. We find him often sleeping. Or his body would be in need of strength, in, in need of, of food. And we see this in Luke 4, where Christ is dependent on his Father to sustain him during those 40 days of fasting in the desert, where he is reliving the experience of Israel, who for 40 years was dependent on God's provision. And so Matthew and Mark tell us at the end of that section, the temptation of Christ, that angels came and ministered to him. He was tempted to... Uh, choose the way of self-trust and tell the stones to become bread, but instead chose the way of trusting in his Father to sustain him on the daily bread of his words. A way that Christ commends to us when he tells us to pray each day for our daily bread, looking to the provision that comes to us from our Father's hands. Jesus knew what it was to say, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. 
Jesus is the embodiment of the righteous ethic in the Sermon on the Mount who models for us what what Matthew 6 says, not worrying about our daily provision of food and clothing and shelter, but trusting our Father for it. He knew what it was to pray. He makes me lie down in green pastures, which means to have been fed, to be satisfied. He knew what it was to say, he leads me beside still or restful waters. He he brings me to the place where I can drink and lie down. And he leads me in right paths or, or paths of righteousness, meaning he keeps me in the way of safety that is consistent with his righteous character and his righteous promises. God protects me and watches over me. Was that not true of Jesus? Where every time the the masses sought his life, every time the religious elite sought to destroy him, his heavenly father kept him on the path of God's righteous faithfulness until that time would come. That time of which verse 4 speaks, which Christ knew also. Even though he knew his father's provision, even though he knew what it was to be satisfied and rest, would also pass through the valley of death's shadow. And, and not just pass through its, its shadow, but death itself. And yet would do so upheld by divine comfort. That's what we see in Luke uh, chapter 22, where the, the shadow of death is looming large over Jesus in Gethsemane, and yet it says in Luke twenty-two forty-three that an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so I will fear no evil, which is what happens in the next verse in Luke's gospel, as in agony, Christ prays even more earnestly. The shepherd upholds him with his staff, restoring his life. So we might uh, translate verse 3 of this psalm, you restore my soul or you restore my life. It's the same word. Which is sort of an introduction to what will take place as the one who passes through the valley of death's shadow will then be restored and exalted to a place of feasting, a place of glory. Again, is that not the pattern of of Joseph and Job and and David, a pattern that Christ tells us in Luke 24 is fulfilled in him, the Davidic king and Job-like sufferer who is saved from death and exalted to a place of feasting and glory in the sight of his enemies to then reside in the presence of the Lord forever. Do you see how this is, to quote one author, a summary of the gospel in the Old Testament? How the gospel, in a real sense, is the story of Psalm 23, a king of glory who passes through the shadow of death, upheld by his faithful father and shepherd, and then restored unto life and seated in glory. Psalm 23 is Christ's psalm. The Lord is Christ's shepherd. Christopher Ashe writes, the king who inherits these covenant assurances of Psalm 23 is ultimately Jesus Christ. He is the singer of Psalm 23 and what immense comfort this psalm must have brought him in his earthly sufferings. Then he says, based on our union with Christ, this psalm is now our psalm. As Paul over and over in his epistles is telling us that we are in Christ and so what is true of him is is true of us. So this psalm becomes our psalm as we are in him. 
Another author, Doug Green, says the Lord is Christ's shepherd transposes into the Lord is the Christian's shepherd. And so we can face the valley of the shadow of death without fear because God has already brought the lead sheep of the flock safely through that dark valley. Because the great shepherd has led Jesus from the valley of death to the temple mount, he will provide that same death-defeating, life-restoring protection to all who follow in Jesus' tracks. Let's look then at how the Lord is also our shepherds. The confession of our head, the confession of our king becomes our confession as we are united to him by faith. So that's what, what is true of him is also true of us. And we are able to sing, as we have this morning, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a confession of faith. That's a confession of personal fellowship. He's my shepherd. It's a, a confession of, of intimate fellowship. He's my shepherd. Mind you, of Lord's Day 7, God has freely granted not only to others, but also to me the forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. He is my shepherd. And so we can know him in the same way that uh, Nathan the prophet, for instance, speaks of in 2 Samuel 12 when he tells that story of a man who went out and bought a little lamb that he nourished And that lamb grew up together with him and his children. It ate of his own food and drank of his own cup. It lay in his bosom and was like a child to him. This is the kind of intimacy that we in Christ enjoy with the shepherd as those adopted into his family, fed from his own table, drinking from his own cup, provided for from his own hand and protected. And so we can pray Psalm 23, we can pray the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread, confident that our Father and Shepherd who hears us will provide for our physical needs. Is that not what we see throughout this psalm? Assurance that because he is my shepherd, I lack no good thing. I shall not want, but my shepherd will give me my physical needs. He will give me my daily breaths. He will give me my needs not only of provision, verse 1, of clothing and shelter, but verses 2 and 3 of rest, having cared for me in such a way that I am satisfied and can lie down in green pastures, giving me safety and comfort, verse 4, even bringing me through that final trial safely to the other side. Verse 5, he gives me food and feasting. He gives me victory over my enemies. That feasting takes place in the presence of my enemies. And that feasting in the presence of our enemies will ultimately take place in glory, but we taste of it already in part each time that we come to his table, feasting in the presence of our enemies all around us, our cup running over as we are seated at his table. A little foretaste of that day, a little foretaste given to us along the way until that day when the vats will overflow with wine in our Father's kingdom and we'll feast with him, knowing that goodness and mercy of verse 6 forever, which the psalm says will follow us or pursue us all the days of our life. Love, you see how Psalm 23 encourages us to bring all of our needs and all of our petitions before him. 
Boys and girls, do you see how Psalm 23 calls you to bring all of your fears, all of your anxieties, all of your sadness, all of your insecurities, all of your needs before our good shepherds? And then as God provides for us, as he answers our prayer, as Psalm 23 assures us, he will. As God provides for our physical needs of food and comfort and safety and rest, you are to recognize, Lord's Day 50, that this good shepherd, who is also your shepherd, is the only source of everything good. That's really the essence of verse 1, the the same thing we see in our, our catechism. He is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want, because my shepherd is the only source of everything good. He makes goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of my life, verse 6. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He feeds me. Notice all of those personal pronouns in verses 2 and 3. He is the source of everything. And therefore this psalm teaches us to withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in him alone. That's ultimately what this psalm is calling us to do, not to trust first and foremost in mom and dad, but in your heavenly father. Not to trust first and foremost in your savings or investments, but in the good shepherd. Not to trust first and foremost in government or in medicine or anything else, but to withdraw our trust from all creatures and to place it in him alone. Even to withdraw it from yourself. That's what the catechism means when it says, neither our care and work can do any good without God's blessing. And we see that same thing in this psalm. David did not trust in his own resources, though he was king. David did not trust in his own strength, though he had slain giants. Christ, too, did not trust in his own strength, though he had all of heaven's resources at his disposal. But he looked to his heavenly Father, And so prayed for his provision. How often as we read through the Gospels do we not see Christ praying? How often do we not see David praying? That prayer is an expression of dependence. Same dependence that we see in Psalm 23, which is a prayer. And see what that means is that prayerlessness is an expression of self-confidence. If prayer is the exercise of dependence like a sheep leaning on its good shepherd, then prayerlessness is an expression of self-sufficiency, of pride, we might say of unbelief. Is what uh, Kevin DeYoung says. He says, prayerlessness is an expression of our meager confidence in God's ability to provide and of our strong confidence in our ability to take care of ourselves without God's help. Prayerlessness is an expression of our meager confidence in God's ability to provide and of our strong confidence in our ability to care for ourselves without God's help. If we never pray, the problem goes much deeper than simply a lack of self-discipline, but the heart that does not talk to God is the heart that trusts in itself and in its own resources and not in God's power. Prayerlessness is unbelief. 
It's saying, I've got this on my own. It is the exact opposite, the posture of the gospel that says, I do not have this on my own, but I need the grace of God to sustain me. And so do you see how a lack of prayer is a gospel problem? Not to pray is unbelief in verse 1 of this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Matthew Henry said at the opening line of this psalm, from God being his shepherd, the psalmist infers that he shall not want or shall not lack anything that is good for him. Because he understands God's intimate affection for him, connoted by the word shepherd. Because he understands God's personal relation to him, implied by the word my. All this through Christ, of whom this psalm is first of all true. And so because of our union with Christ, which places us in a personal relation to God as a tender shepherd and loving father, Lord's Day 46, who will care for us, we're encouraged to pray. Encouraged to pray for our physical needs, encouraged to, to pray for our food, for safety, for rest, for health, protection, guidance, comfort, wisdom. And not to pray for these things betrays a lack of belief In verse 1, do you believe that God is your shepherd through Christ who passed through the valley of the shadow of death for you and whose life was restored on the third day by the power of the resurrection? If you're here this morning and you don't believe that, the, the message of Psalm 23, the implied message is that this comfort and this assurance do not belong to you but only belong to those who through Christ confess that God has become their father and shepherd by grace. And so God commands you this morning to repent and believe the gospel, to repent of your sins and believe what we already heard in the reading of the law and assurance of part of that Christ is the only one who kept it and the only way to enter into this relation to the Father to repent of your sins and believe the gospel and enjoy that rest and assurance and comfort of which this psalm speaks. To repent of your sin and cling to Christ in whom and by whom and through whom God becomes your shepherd. Then all of the days of your life as God's goodness and mercy will follow you or pursue you in Christ to prayerfully place yourself in a spirit of dependence on him, trusting and and showing that trust through prayer, trusting that he will provide for your needs for his name's sake. For his name's sake, all of this is for his glory. We said a few weeks back that the fundamental petition is hallowed be thy name and everything else flows from this it's because God is zealous for his own glory for his name's sake Psalm 23 we trust that this God who is deserving of all glory will glorify himself through giving his saints through giving his sheep what they need and that as we trust that he will do this we thank him for his provision we hallow and glorify his name recognizing that this faithful God and Father and Shepherd of Psalm 23 is the only source of everything good. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that in Christ you become our Father and our Shepherd. 
We pray, Lord, that you would help us to find ourselves in him, that by union with Christ, what is true of him would be true of us, that you provide for us out of your tender love, you lead us through the valley of death's shadow, and call us in this veil of tears not to fear but you comfort us with your rod and with your staff. Lord, help us as we believe these things to exercise that belief and trust through prayer, which our catechism rightly says is the chief part of our thankfulness to you. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our ingratitude. We pray that you would forgive us for our unbelief, would forgive us for our prayerlessness, And Lord, as we see the gospel of Psalm 23 and what is true of us by our union with Christ, the Davidic king, pray that you would make us a prayerful people in Jesus' name.